I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And And this this is Hashtag Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Hey guys, welcome to the first ever episode of season four. This is Hashtag History, episode 31, and I am Rachel. And I'm Leah. And in keeping with tradition, I will be taking over the first episode of season four. Woohoo! These are my favorite episodes. The ones that I take over? Yeah, I love them. Oh. Yeah, I really love them. I don't know if I do or not. I I, I, (laughs) like... It's very stressful for me. <laughs> I, I think um, you you stress yourself out too much because all of your episodes are always so fantastic. Oh, well, thank you. No, really. I love them. Okay. Well, before we get going on today's story, how have you been, Rachel? I, I mean, we literally talk like constantly, but how is day 5,000 of quarantine treating you? <laughs> Um, you know what? Every time someone asks me that question, I always come back to I feel like a selfish jerk if I complain whatsoever about getting to work from home. Um, yeah, and staying inside while we have people that are on the front lines. So that will be my uh politically correct answer. Okay. <laughs> and then my non politically correct answer. Um, I'm really ready to like go to a bar, have a good night out. Go to a coffee shop yeah. with a book. You know, I, I'm I'm ready for this to be over. I'm that. ready for all of that stuff. I do actually think I might have a panic attack the first day I go back to work, though. <laughs> I, I was thinking the exact same thing yesterday. So, again, I'm like a horrible, selfish person. When someone listening to this is an essential worker, they're going to be like, gee, thanks a lot. But I was thinking the same thing yesterday, um, sitting on my porch in my hammock working from home Mm -hmm. on my laptop in 75 degree beautiful weather and thinking like potentially a month ish from now I'm gonna have to be back in an office yeah it's not good yeah (laughs) well my biggest takeaway and general feeling I got from this whole experience was actually as it relates to history um there and this is about to get cheesy get ready I'm ready Do, do I need tissues or yeah no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there was this cheesy Facebook ad that was going around a couple weeks ago that said something along the lines of, um, was that a pivotal historical moment we just went stumbling past? And every single time I saw it, I would tear up. Like, I would actually cry. Uh-huh. And at first I thought it was just because that's just what I do and I'm stressed and all that stuff. I cry at the drop of a hat. But then after I sat down and thought about it, I realized, no, it's because this is the first global history history-making event that has actually happened in our adult lives. Correct. um, That not only has affected every single person in this world in some way, but that will undoubtedly affect our future. Yeah. Which in some ways is super cool. Yeah. But in other ways is very scary and scares the crap out of me. Yeah. That is something, um, if you guys listen to our season finale of last season, Um, We had Nicole from the California Railroad Museum on, which was really awesome. And she and I actually have been saying the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. (laughs) 
moving on, or I mean, speaking of historical events that changed the world, um, today we will be discussing the Hindenburg disaster. Often, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's often referenced as the Titanic of the sky. The LZ-129 Hindenburg was an airship that, upon its final voyage across the Atlantic in May 1937, met a terrible, fiery end and took the lives of 35 passengers and crew members. And as per usual, on that uplifting note, let's drink. Yes, so you guys know that on the weeks that Leah takes over the history portion of the episode, that is when I get to take over the cocktail portion. Yes. And really, I should take advantage of this opportunity and make us drink a drink that I know we would both love, or at least that I would especially love. Yeah. But that's not what I did. Um, In fact, I chose a drink that we will possibly, potentially, very likely hate. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is because the liquor going in this week's drink is, drumroll please, gin. Yeah. We hate gin. We do. It's not not our favorite. It would be putting it lightly. Yeah, that, w- that would be the understatement. Um, so you ask, Rachel, why would you select a drink that calls for gin? Number one, because this drink has a very strong correlation to the incident we are talking about this week. And number two, because we hate gin, that means I have an almost full bottle of it in my bar (laughs) that I truthfully only touch for the purposes of this podcast. And during a time of quarantine, using liquor I already had in the cabinet was my best bet. Yeah. No. And then she even (laughs) gave me a little bit of hers because I didn't have enough to make this drink. I had enough to go around. Don't you worry. Yeah. Even after giving you some and pouring the one from tonight and using it in previous episodes, I am still about three fourths full on my bottle. Wow. I see. I think I did. I don't know if it would be considered smart or stupid, but (laughs) I got those like one of those little bottles that like alcoholics keep in paper bags. <laughs> That's what I, I've been going through for all of our episodes. So it finally ran out. <laughs> when I am, so I don't know if this is smart or stupid, but I got a huge bottle. So yeah, I, I've got our gin supply. Assuming Good. we do more gin cocktails, which I mean, inevitably we will since, yeah, you know, they're in <laughs> ev- it's in every cocktail. <laughs> That is related to history, apparently. (laughs) Yes, that's the truth. Okay, so this week's cocktail, it is called the, am I saying this right, LZ-129 Frosted Cocktail? Yeah. This particular cocktail, it was known to be served by a bartender on the Hindenburg. If you guys are not familiar with what the Hindenburg is yet, um, it was an airship, and Leah's going to be getting into all of that. Um, But the LZ-129, that was actually the airship's registration number. And this particular cocktail was served on the Hindenburg. So you see, guys, strong correlation to this week's topic. Yes, good job. Round of applause for you. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. The ingredients are super simple, which is fantastic. We love when there's only like two, three ingredient 
drinks. Um, all it is, it's a shot of gin and a shot of orange juice. Yeah, when I saw the recipe that she shared with me says 30 milliliters, and I had to like say, what the f*** is a 30 milliliters? Like, I, yeah, had, I had no idea. And then I was like, oh, got it. <laughs> I also had to Google. It's pretty much the rough equivalent of a shot. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. So we have equal parts gin and equal parts orange juice in this yeah. week's cocktail. Um, you just add crushed ice and then you have the LZ129 frosted cocktail. And I didn't have crushed ice, so I ended up blending the ice. So it's really more like a smoothie, but I'm That's, kind ooh, of into it. That sounds so much better. Okay. Okay. Cheers. Virtual cheers because we're doing cheers. this remotely. Yes. Okay. It tastes like gin. <laughs> Gin and juice, sipping on that gin and juice. <laughs> I actually, it's, the orange juice kind of tempers the the gin flavor for me. I would agree. It's fine. As are all gin drinks. It is fine. <laughs> actually, I take that back. Of the gin cocktails we've done, maybe my favorite. Really? But that is, but that is a low bar because the gin drinks have a separate criteria we have our cocktails and then we have our gin cocktails right. and the gin cocktails are already several steps below the, the other worst cocktails. even the ones with vermouth <sighs> <laughs> tough questions here on hashtag yeah, history <laughs> we ask the tough questions <laughs> especially with my my headphones right now i feel like a news anchor or whatever we ask the tough questions here on hh <laughs> The HH podcast. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I still stand by my statement okay. on the high end of the gin drinks. But again, that is a low standard. Right. So where would you rank this one? One to ten. Five. Okay. <laughs> is that high for you? I was going to say like a three. Okay. I, I like the simplicity of it. I like that I could literally just get some orange juice and be good to go that's cool agreed I, and since i always have gin i could easily make this cocktail i just think it's given time. funny that it was like oh this bartender was known to have served this two ingredient like it cocktail. like it's super complicated yeah like congratulations <laughs> you put orange juice and gin into a shot but i glass. dare you to ask when we're all out of quarantine and we get to go to bars again to ask someone for an lz 129 frosted cocktail Hmm. I wouldn't want to waste my money on it, so <laughs> so I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Would not do that. Okay, so you guys, since this is my little part of the episode, I did want to share one other totally random and fun fact about the Hindenburg. And Leah, stop me if you're going to end up sharing this at some point in the episode. Um, the Hindenburg actually had a lightweight baby grand piano specifically built for it. Were you going to say this? Uh, I think I mentioned it in passing, so go on. Go in okay. detail, girl. Okay, so the Hindenburg, because it was an airship, it obviously had really strict weight restrictions. So this piano, it wasn't actually on board the day of the event that we are discussing in this week's episode, but it was present during the Hindenburg, Hindenburg's first flying season. The Baby Grand weighed less than 400 pounds, and just for reference, Baby Grands generally weigh about 500 pounds on average. That's it. That's all I have. I, there's no context whatsoever. I just thought it was fascinating that the owners of the Hindenburg were so determined to give the airship such a look of luxury that they had a piano specifically built for it. Yeah, and we'll be digging into that um, a little later on about the whole luxury side of it. So can't wait. Yeah. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, we have a total score of five, six, seven, eight points. Okay, for those of you who may not know what in the world an airship is, airships, also known as dirigible balloons, I have no idea if I pronounced that right. Never heard the word. Yeah. They were essentially giant, and I do mean giant, balloons. I don't know how else to describe it, truly, but I've uploaded a picture so that you get an idea. Rachel, do you want to describe it? Yeah, let's see what we are referring to here. I am looking at an airship, and it's giant. Um, How does one describe this? It looks like a massive cucumber in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and I, the it's hard to get a picture that shows the size, but I feel like that one did a pretty good job. It's, yeah, yeah. It's spanning. Um, so it's it's just a picture of it in the sky. It's still pretty low to the ground, and it spans the width. You can see some um, buildings across the bottom. It spans the width of several buildings. Yeah. So basically imagine an elongated football-shaped balloon, often filled with highly flammable gases, propelled by an engine, carrying a comparatively tiny little cabin underneath where passengers and crew members' accommodations are held. Makes total sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I totally get how it was invented and... Just makes perfect sense for me. So I won't go into the shockingly long history of airships because I just couldn't bring myself to do the research on what I consider to be one of the driest subjects on the planet. (laughs) But just know that the first airship designs can be traced back as far as the 17th century. Wow. And the first functioning steam-powered engine airship took flight in the 1850s. Wow. Yeah. So helium was known to be the safer gas option for airships since, you know, it isn't highly flammable. (laughs) Um, Hydrogen was, on the other hand, the most common gas used as it was more easily accessible and, oy vey, cheaper. But we'll get into that. Uh, I feel like that was foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So jump forward almost 80 years from when the first airship took flight and airship travel is like, all the rage. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, airships weren't a super common form of public transportation. Um, most airships that were built um, were used for military purposes, like dropping bombs during World War One, for instance. But in the late 1920s and early 1930s, people truly thought they were the future of passenger air travel. Remember, at this point in time, airplanes are aren't really that common. Like, I, I don't know when the Wright brothers and all that stuff happened, but it definitely was not common for people to travel across oceans in airplanes at this time. Well, and think of any kind of transportation... Uh, revolutions that we've had like the train was revolutionary so any kind of travel that shortens the time span of getting from one place to the other is always going to be revolutionary yeah and yeah I think airplanes was like um early 1900s but again not as commonplace yeah it wasn't like commercial use it was yeah So the Germans in particular tried stepping up their airship game, backing the German Zeppelin Company, which was the leader in making sleeker, faster, and bigger airships, and which designed and produced the infamous Hindenburg. 
And just a little note on the Zeppelin company, mm-hmm. um, you know, the band Led Zeppelin, yes. which was named after, I'm pretty sure the Hindenburg, definitely after the Zeppelin company. I used to think when I was a kid that it was Ted Zeppelin and it was like a guy's name and his name was Ted Zeppelin. <laughs> okay, that's hilarious. And I was probably too old when I realized that that was not the case. But then never admitted it to anyone until right now on a podcast. Oh, yeah. Anyways, I love it. Love you, Ted. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's amazing. And alas, anyways, <laughs> the Hindenburg came to fruition. It was originally designed in the 1920s to be a helium-lifted airship, but eventually, I guess, they decided the risk was worth the pocket change, and hydrogen eventually replaced helium in the plans. Oh. But to be honest, there were actually a lot of political reasons for the change to hydrogen, the primary being that the U.S. had a monopoly on helium at the time and wasn't really all that willing to part with it, at least not for cheap. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is money talks, Mm -hmm. safety does not. Right. Okay. And there was a bonus for using this hydrogen instead of helium. With the use of hydrogen came more lifting power. So this meant the airship could accommodate more guests in bigger cabins with more accommodations and heavier furniture. Now, I know what a lot of you may be thinking. Isn't the safety of these German citizens more important than showing off how big and badass of an airship you can build is? And I don't know, maybe worth spending a little bit more money? But you got to remember, the Nazis at this time were flexing And they were flexing hard. The Hindenburg was an opportunity to show off their power, innovation, and strength. (laughs) So the design for the airship was shifted, and everything became bigger, better, and more extravagant. The Hindenburg is actually classified as the biggest aircraft ever to have flown, measured by length and volume. There was an ivory key grand piano, which Rachel mentioned in her cocktail segment, um, in a spacious dining room. There were luxury cabins with every accommodation imaginable and even a pressurized smoking room. You heard that right. (laughs) There was a room that they actually pressurized because I guess safety was of the utmost importance. Question mark. Question Question mark. mark, Where guests could smoke their cigars and cigarettes without the concern of igniting a terrifying inferno. Oh. Oh, and did I mention the best? And by best, I mean absolutely worst part. The outside of this massive airship sported, you guessed it, Nazi swastikas. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. The biggest selling point of the Hindenburg, it was fast. The Hindenburg was faster than any other form of travel at the time. It boasted the ability to cross the Atlantic in half the time of the fastest commercial steamline cruise ship. That's a short four-day trip instead of the usual eight. And that's a huge selling point, if we're being honest. Like, I need to get over to visit my family or whatnot. Obviously, I'm going to take the trip that's going, or the the mode of transportation that's going to take me less than half the time to get there. Yeah. And like four days across the Atlantic. Yeah. At that time, four days across the Atlantic, that's like unheard of. Right. (laughs) It also had all of the comforts of a cruise ship, but with one surprising benefit. Passengers claimed they didn't even realize the airship had taken off. It was so smooth. So no seasickness for these Germans. Um, I would love to have experienced that because 
I do not feel that way on airlines. Yeah. I, I'm one of those weirdos that almost, I wouldn't say I enjoy turbulence in an aircraft, but I definitely like accept it and just go on living my life. Well, we've talked about that before. I feel like it maybe was even you that sometimes it's almost more comforting to feel turbulence because you're a huge aircraft in the sky. It shouldn't be going as smoothly as it is. (laughs) You know, like, oh, the turbulence reminds me that like, this is all real. This is human this is normal yeah um that just reminded me of our trip to new york when you packed entire large bottles of shampoo and conditioner okay in my defense i had traveled once before um i i with my family i'm i come from a big family so a lot of our trips that we did were like pretty local and places we could drive Mm -hmm. I had flown once before a trip to New York and it was a trip where I had a bag that got checked. And so I did not know that going like having a carry on bag, I literally brought not even just like full size shampoo. It was like the family size shampoo (laughs) that would last me a good six months. And yep, the airline tossed it. And so, you would like just buy some really expensive face cream or something. Yeah. One of the items I was very, very sad to part with. And I'm not going to lie. I still think about it regularly. <laughs> sorry I brought it up. So anyway, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After completing a single round trip passage to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in late March, the Hindenburg departed from Frankfurt, Germany on the evening of May 3rd, 1937, carrying 36 passengers and 61 crew members. And this was another big reason um, the discrepancy between passengers and crew members was another reason why airships didn't necessarily take off, not just because, you know, disasters were about to happen, but because the number of crew members it took to accommodate half the number of passengers, it just didn't make sense, but there was no way to get around that necessity. Wow. Yeah. So it crossed over Cologne, Germany, or as I like to refer to it, the armpit of Western Germany, (laughs) followed by Amsterdam and the English Channel. And by 2 a.m. the next day, it was already setting off over the Atlantic. It was a shockingly uneventful trip over the Atlantic, except for some strong headwinds that slowed its progress. I've uploaded a couple of photos of the Hindenburg flying over some famous cities for you to describe, Rachel. Okay, so the first one is flying over Amsterdam, and it looks beautiful. It looks like the pictures you see of Amsterdam. Um, And that thing is massive. Yeah. And then the second picture here is of NYC and I can see the swastikas yeah on the airship going over NYC which um do you know ish when this picture of flying over NYC was taken probably I mean in the 30s yeah so it was 1937 okay so New York looks like the same but different Mm -hmm. I would say yeah um like, you would know it was New York, but definitely, the, you know, how much has changed in 100 years. But the main thing, of course, of this picture, this gigantic airship flying over New York, the main thing that I see are two swastikas staring at me. I'm so glad you said that, because literally my next sentence is, isn't that freaking terrifying? 
like yes i know world war ii hadn't quite broken out yet and that the nazis weren't yet discovered to be the terrible hideous group we uncovered them to be but the visual of a gigantic swastika branded airship over the new york skyline is like beyond terrifying to me no it it totally is and even in the history nerd that i am and with a general idea of the hindenburg disaster did not realize that they had swastikas branded on the airships yeah i didn't know that either it was crazy wow due to the slight delay that the headwinds caused the hindenburg was about a day behind schedule arriving over its final destination lakehurst new jersey right around 7 p.m on may 6th 1937. New Jersey. New Jersey. The landing process was one that American airships used quite often, but which the Hindenburg crew had very little experience executing. Whether that had anything to do with the disaster is still unknown. For this form of landing, they would stop the airship at a high altitude over the landing site. Then they would drop ropes called mooring lines down to the ground, which would be used to literally pull the ship down to the ground. God. It apparently added a lot of time to the landing timeline to do this particular maneuver, but took less ground crew members to execute. So that was the reasoning behind it. Wow. I just, it's just amazing to see that we've progressed over time. I know. Because that sounds like archaic when at the time that was the new technology and was like really revolutionary and really amazing but right now that is actually terrifying yeah and sounds like like i said totally archaic yeah so the hindenburg is floating over the landing site with its mooring lines dropped and it is slowly being pulled down when at 7 25 p.m some witnesses claim they see a flutter in the fabric covering indicating leaking gas and within seconds and yes this whole thing took only seconds the hindenburg is engulfed in flame and begins to crash so there are a ton of conflicting accounts from crew members and passengers alike about where the fire actually began how it started some said they saw small flames at the front of the ship others said the back some say they saw the fire start on the port side others the starboard Wherever they started, the flames quickly spread, and then the rear of the ship imploded because of the explosion. Buoyancy was lost on the stern, that's the back of the ship, and the bow lurched upwards while the stern began to sink. So here's a visual for you, Rachel, if you want to describe the crash photo. Okay. Do you hear me? Okay. Okay. Oh my god, it's horrible. Yeah, so that's the, the stern... Um, going, you can see why it's like off kilter because all of the gas floated to one end of the balloon um, and was escaping out of that end. So that's why one end is crashing down before the other. It's horrible, you guys. If you remember my description of it being a giant cucumber at the beginning, um, here's the cucumber again, but it's half a cucumber because one half of it is completely smashed into the ground. And I think this picture is so... um, alarming because it's in black and white because the flames are like bright bright white um and i mean it's just every the whole thing is engulfed in flames it's it's like a really moving picture yeah so i know this is a podcast and it's probably annoying that i'm including so many visuals but if you're going to go out of your way to view any of the visuals i reference during this whole thing watch this one we're about to do Here's a video showing the ignition and crash of the Hindenburg. Okay. When 
suddenly. That was horrible. Yeah. You guys should definitely, we'll make sure we link that on Instagram. You guys should watch that. It's um, like my mouth is still kind of dropped wide open, but that was like a really, really crazy video to see. Yeah. So literally in a matter of seconds, the gigantic airship goes from floating serenely about 250 feet above the ground to a smoking pile of ash. It's hard to imagine how any of the passengers survived, but some of them did. Wow. Yeah. The time that it took from the first signs of disaster to the bow crashing to the ground is often reported as 32, 34, or 37 seconds. So regardless, less than 40 seconds. And since none of the newsreel cameras were filming the airship when the fire started, the time of the start can only be estimated. Just imagine that at a max 37 seconds. We have... I mean, 37 seconds is the time since we watched that video, like, and that is how much time there was for people to realize, all right, I'm dead. I'm dying. Yeah. It's like unfathomable. Oh my God. So the big question, how did this happen? Yes. If you're like me, you're probably thinking, how could anyone have not thought this was a possibility? <laughs> I mean, they were literally floating across the world in a glorified, dressed-up hot air balloon with a smoking room. <laughs> but yes. that didn't stop people from drafting up those conspiracy theories, along with more plausible causes, as always. Yes. So at the time, some people, including Hugo Eckner, former head of the Zeppelin company, did suspect sabotage. Kelsey, please. Mm. Commander Charles Rosendahl, commander of the Naval Air Station at Lakehurst, and the man in overall charge of the ground-based portion of the Hindenburg's landing maneuver also came to believe that the Hindenburg had been sabotaged. He even went so far as to publish a book called What About the Airship in 1938 that outlined this theory in detail. Many crew members denied this as a possibility, though, stating none of them would ever have committed such an act. Other theorists suspected a form of static discharge or possibly even lightning started the fire, but Max Proust, commander of the airship, scoffed at that possibility, stating that on the multiple test flights to South America, the Hindenburg and its sister ship had passed through thunderstorms and were struck by lightning and remained unharmed. Can we just address for half a second how terrifying that would be to be in that airship when it was struck by lightning? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now we can move on. I just needed to address that very quickly. Okay. Glad. Glad you did. Doing what we're all thinking. Okay. <laughs> the last hypothesis we'll go over was engine failure, but no, there were a ton of other speculations, including a puncture in the balloon, fuel leaks, and more. Anyways, the engine failure idea was presented 70 years after the accident by Robert. Wow. Yeah, it was presented by Robert Buchanan, a young American crew member who was manning the mooring lines on the ground. 
Buchanan stated that the airship was approaching the mooring mast. He noticed that one of the engines thrown into reverse for a hard turn backfired and a shower of sparks was emitted. Oh. And then a second crew member stepped forward after this and said he also noticed a blue halo around the tail fin, indicating leaking hydrogen from engine failure. But I feel like that one probably is less, like, real. <laughs> yeah, but either way, I'm just kind of moved by this guy was a crew member that it took him 70 years to come out with what his theory was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hugo Eckner, head of the Zeppelin company again, um, rejected the idea that hydrogen could have been ignited by an engine backfire, stating that the hydrogen could not have been ignited by an exhaust because the ignition temperature for hydrogen is 932 degrees Fahrenheit, but the sparks from the exhaust only could reach as high as about 482 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. Yeah. So now that we dug into the how, I'm sure you're all asking who, who cares that is. (laughs) Why was this such a big deal? Well, historians believe that this changed the course of history as we know it. As I said earlier, airships were thought to be the future of air travel. And with one 35 second crash, that future died and the airship era was no more. Wow. The disaster shattered public confidence in airships and brought a definitive end to their, quote, golden age. The day after the Hindenburg, the day after the Hindenburg crash, the Hindenburg sister airship, the Graf Zeppelin, landed at the end of its flight back home from Brazil. And that was the last international passenger airship flight ever. Wow. Some airships were used during World War II, um, often for recon, scouting for enemy submarines, but the majority of focus on air travel shifted to the less accident-prone airplane. Over time, the manufacturing and use of airships declined even more to leave us with, well, with this. Rachel, do you want to describe our last picture? The picture is literally called this. (laughs) Oh my god, it's the big Goodyear, like, air balloon uh, yes i i love it okay that's hilarious <laughs> that is hilarious so airships or as we know them more widely today blimps are yep. used primarily as advertising tools for private companies so God, that's hilarious yeah so you know picture the good year blimp good year right yep good year blimp yep and that's pretty much the only thing we use blimps for now <laughs> oh my god one thing i do know about this incident another reason why it was so um why it stands the test of time in history is because tv was only invented in like the last decade before this incident happened mm-hmm. and the incident was captured on tv it wasn't broadcast live um i believe it was broadcast like the following day mm-hmm. or that evening but that was a huge huge deal we've talked about this before on this podcast when things are captured live i mean we we know that when the second trade center was hit we were watching when that happened mm-hmm. and that made it that much more moving because we were seeing it happen in live time and i know that that was a big deal with this incident it's like you hear about an airship crashing to the ground me seeing that video that you uh showed me that made it that much more moving and that much more real and that was what people were going through in the 1930s when this happened they got to see it with their own eyes and that's why this incident has stood the test of time in history yeah 
yeah, it's it's one of those ones where I, I feel like for me when I was like, oh, 35 people died. So, you know, not so what, mm-hmm. but kind of like, eh. but if you look at it, it's like you said, with the whole media covering it and then also the fact that it literally grounded public use of airships the next day. Right. It really did like just shift. Like, can you imagine air, air airships being the main form of transportation today? Like flying in right. New York on an airship? Oh my God. It's no, crazy. this incident truly changed history. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. Next week, I will both be reluctantly and delightedly handing the reins (laughs) back over to Rachel. So be sure to stay tuned for a super special episode that I personally am so excited about. As always, we will post the pictures that Leah mentioned from this episode to our Instagram. We'll also post a link to that YouTube video because you guys really have to see it to be able to really get the context of this incident and why it was so moving and why it is such a huge part of our history. And then all of the sources used to put this episode together can be found on our website. If you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor and subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use. Share it with a friend and give us a rate and review. And you guys, be sure to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. We do so many fun, cool things over there, such as tonight we did a live and we took some shots with our listeners. It was super fun. Yes. Thank you. Thank you you guys so much. Bye. Bye. Oh my God. I'm so sweaty. I am like stumbling over here. Bro, we're on number uno. Okay. He even went so far as to publish... Oh my god, publish. Publish the book. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I just burped. Um, Are you drinking a drink already? Oh my god, I didn't mean to. What is wrong with you? It's just an instinctual thing. I'm so sorry. Eight points <laughs> for Gryffindor. Um, I feel like I'm drunk already and I'm definitely not. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm drunk, but I'm very sweaty. Maybe that's it. I'm hot. Yeah. Really, really sweaty. (laughs) Sorry. Continue. No, it gave me a chance to drink this gross thing. (laughs) There were actually a lot of political. (laughs) Political. (laughs) No, I see what you were saying about, like, you were like, oh my God, I'm so f***ing hilarious. Measuring by length what as always we will post the pictures from this oh my god i'm stealing all your stuff here you do no 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 no. take it i like hearing you say it (laughs) (laughs) except you made me say the part about um my staccato part can you actually i will take this next one so you can at least take the staccato part okay okay okay